the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Sunday, July 16th. Bunch of NFL news to get to. We're going to bounce around there to start here, and then I'm going to flip the switch. Let's talk soccer. Women's World Cup will get underway in just a couple of days here. I'm not going to talk about that just yet. I'm going to talk about the other American <laughs> soccer sports organization, the Major League Soccer one. I've been reluctant to get to this, but it's time. Let's talk about the Lionel Messi contract. That is the back end of this show. How we got here, how it all came together, who's involved, what kind of numbers are involved, what is it going to mean for Major League Soccer, what's it going to mean for Inter-Miami, and where do we go from here, right? Because I don't think this is just about the now, and it's not just about the future of soccer, right? Air quotes. This, there's an actual target. There's an actual target just about two and a half years away that this specific signing is meant for. And that's why all the money is important. And it's why all the eyeballs are important and why the reputation of Messi coming here is so damn important to this sport in American sports. So that's the back end of the show. We'll start with Quinn and Williams and Joe Mixon and DeAndre Hopkins and Evan Engram and a couple of franchise tag players as well. That's next. Plenty of NFL news to get to, but three names kind of stick out from this weekend's updates. None of them officially, officially, official yet in terms of breakdowns and things like that. But we're going to start with Joe Mixon. We talked about the Bengals quite a bit here. I mentioned Joe Burrow and his contract in just the last episode. I mentioned that Joe Burrow and T. Higgins contracts could force Joe Mixon off the roster. And Mixon has complied with the March request to take a pay cut and stick around. It sounds like from a few network reports that Mixon took a $4.4 million pay cut this year and a $4.7 million pay cut next year, which is significant because what we're talking about here is probably two-year security, right? I'm going to take this haircut and we're going to build it back with tons of incentives and you're going to need me because you you didn't sign back our, uh, our, our my backup option and you didn't draft my replacement yet. So he did have some some say and some leverage in this conversation. Um, however, what they've done here is essentially taken all of 2023 salary. It was about 10.1 million, okay, which was too much. Let's be perfectly frank about what this team is and and where they need to be right now. And they've guaranteed, without doing it, about that much over the next two seasons via pay cuts. So. There's some security here. Now, look, nothing is set in stone. You know, this might be a wink-wink handshake agreement, but it appears, you know, it's very rare we see pay cuts in consecutive years happen at one time. You know, most of the time it's fine. We'll do it this year, but I'm going to play my butt off and next year I'm going to, I'm going to get my maximum salary. That's not the case here. The case is pay cut this year, pay cut next year, incentives in both. Uh, my guess is he earned some of that back outside of injury. But there's a wink, wink to say, you're going to be around for two more years because that's, that's our contention window. We want you here with, with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow wants you here, by the way, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I, it's a unique situation. It's not one I thought we were going to get to. It seemed like Mixon wasn't going to play ball here. But it sounds like, uh, and I haven't read this anywhere. I'm just kind of putting two and two together with the, the early reports that are out. It sounds like this is a bit of, of a creative way to keep a star player on a price, and by the way, this is only going to happen with the running back because of the devaluation of it, where we're basically saying, take, let's take this year's salary and make it a two-year process. 
without actually giving you the 10 million right now, right? We're not going to actually convert this into signing bonus and spread it out. We're going to take pay cut this year, pay cut next year, and the the equal parts left over are going to get us back to about the number you originally started at for this year with incentives to even increase that uh, over the next couple of seasons anyway. So it's probably win-win. Um, certainly, you know, the 9 million and change that Mixon has given up here isn't great. And it's another step backwards for running backs. We've talked about that, you know, in plenty over the past month. And it's the soup du jour right now heading into, into Monday because uh, the only three, fr- three franchise tag players left are running backs. And it doesn't sound great with any of them. Josh Jacobs has been radio silent from a contractual standpoint. Tony Pollard, there's reports today saying nothing's going to get done. That was expected. And so it's Barkley. And there's still a chance, probably like a what, a 25% chance we get something. But uh, we'll get to the other franchise taggy in just a second here. But for now, Mixon takes a haircut, sticks with this Bengals roster. It's going to be win-win, I believe, in the end from an incentives package. And hopefully we get those details rather soon this week so we can update the Bengals salary cap situation accordingly. Quinnen Williams becomes the next defensive tackle to lock in a massive contract in the NFL this offseason alone. It's kind of, uh, we had wide receivers last year, and it is certainly the, the uh, defensive tackle summer and spring this year. It's a four-year, $96 million extension for Williams, reportedly about $66 million guaranteed. Again, those are agent numbers. There's a lot of uh, specificity to get to, right? <laughs> We've got to uh, to grind this thing down and figure out what's actually per gamers and not likely incentives and what part of this is actually coming down to uh, the meat and potato base value. But this was expected. This is a price that I think is about right. Um, could you see? Could you say he should have been closer to? You know, Aaron Donald's 31 million, sure. Um, but that's a third contract for Donald. We've talked about that with the wide receivers in the last episode. It does seem to be a packing order right now. Um, whereas if you're good enough to stick around on a third contract in certain positions, you deserve to be in a separate tier financially. That's what's happening here. By the way, I'm not at all saying that Quinn and Williams is Aaron Donald. You know, the numbers don't bear that out, but this is a heck of a player. This is a tier two player right now. And that's what $24 million a year, 66 guaranteed, says out loud. So the giant, the Jets are coming. This was a big part of that process. And now he's here most likely, again, no breakdown info just yet, but most likely through 2026 in terms of structural guarantees. I mentioned that one of the franchise taggies is off the board. Evan Engram, tight end for the Jaguars, signs a three-year reported $41.25 million extension, ripping up that franchise tag, which was set to be about $11.3 million. The, the early read on this is that it is not a tack, you know, a tack onto that franchise tag, and nor should it be. He didn't sign it. It didn't exist. It was an offer. It was a ghost number, and he was not accepting it as of yet. So this should be a three-year deal through 2025, reportedly 24 million guaranteed. My guess was this is a two for 24 with the third-year option. That's about what this sounds like. Uh, that option year is about 18 million if we're talking about this in nuts and bolts here which means, you know, a $12 million uh, per year tight end for two years who was drafted number 23 overall, who seems to fit in this offense a heck of a lot better than he did in the Giants. It's value. I don't know what else to say here. This is the this is the running back light situation happening in front of our eyes, guys. This is the tight end is, has been plateauing for about a half a decade here. There's some agent speak out there to try to get this thing to, to, to be 15 million per year. 
It's not real. Okay. If you want to say that he added 30 million on to a franchise tag, that's fine, but he didn't. The franchise tag didn't exist. It was not in his possession. He said no to it. He had not yet said yes, which means we can't take the 11.3 million with any kind of, you know, veritability. So this is a 41.25 over three, which is 13.75 a year, which is less than five players currently signed as a tight end right now. So uh, you're going to see a lot of ups and downs and top fives and top threes. And I just don't buy any of it right now because the numbers I'm seeing and the way that we've been tracking contracts for almost two decades now tell me very different stories. So I, I'm really glad this one got done. Like I said, I think this is a good football fit. And I think there's value here, as I, as I think there will be with a lot of these tight end contracts going forward. Uh, to me, this was about getting north of David and Joku's contract. And that was it because that's all he did. He's slotting in six here on an annual average basis at 13.75 per year. It's less than Mark Andrews. It's less than Dallas Goddard. It's less than Travis Kelsey. It's less than George Kittle. That's less than Darren Waller. The 24 million guaranteed. It's even, you know, when you're talking about full guarantees, we're ninth. When we're talking about guarantee at sign, we're, we're back to that number six spot. So nothing about this is a top five tight end contract. There's just no leverage. Even a guy with a you know a potential training camp holdout from a t from a franchise tag, who I like I said I think there's a nice fit between quarterback and tight end here. There's just no leverage, so he's taking what he can get. He'll take the 24 million guaranteed, try to re up this thing and hit the market again at some point in time. Probably not back here. It's just not how these things work out. He'll be 30 going on 31 at that point in time. And, uh, you know, who knows what, what kind of contracts the Jacksonville Jaguars will have at that point. Certainly a QB1 deal over the next 18 to 24 months. So glad it got done. The price point is what it is, but it's not top five tight end. And it's another step backwards for that whole process that has been floundering for now about five, six years. And the big signing, reportedly, wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins will be joining the Tennessee Titans to me, the always the favorite in this process. I know Houston was floated. Cleveland was floated. The Patriots were floated. The Bills and Chiefs got involved at some point in time. This team had the need and the money. And those are two pretty good ingredients for a recipe for a player in the middle of July looking for work on the best possible situation. You're going to hear a lot of uh, markets say that this guy just took the money. This was fair market value. I, I, I put out a projection in June, June 8th or so, that was two for 24 with 15 million fully guaranteed with a chance to get to 30 based on three, 3 million of annual incentives. Well, based on the early reports, this is a two for 26 with a chance to get to 32 million based on annual incentives. Not a heck of a lot different. And those incentives are clear cut vanilla. None of them are likely to be earned based on last year's stats. It's catches, yards, and touchdowns. So he's gonna earn some dough here if he's the guy. There's no question about it that he's gonna, he's gonna make more than the 12 million he's set to earn this year. Now we don't have the structure and we don't have the guarantees and that's not usually a good sign for a contract when it's reported because if they if the if the agent loved the guarantee number, it'd be part of the initial conversation. So maybe it's just that 12 million. Maybe this is a 1 for 12 on its face with, you know, some some certainly attainable incentives. But I bet that back end 15 million in 2024 is completely non-guaranteed right now. And he's going to have to show that he sticks for, for you know through the offseason to get there. But uh, this is what you get in July, even if you're an all-pro, right? Delvin Cook's going to be in the same conversation, but way worse because he's a running back. 
All right. They, I know these guys can play. That's not the conversation. The conversation is this is what NFL contracts look like this time of year, whether you're, you know, an A or a D. This is just life. This is a great contract for a July player, to be honest. Um, it's just slightly under what Odell Beckham got. There's a world where it's the exact same guarantees, which was 15 million for you know Beckham Jr. in Baltimore. There's a world where that exists right now. But if I'm predicting a contract, you know, at least a month ago, five weeks ago, and it basically hits on the nuts today, what are we talking about? You know, and six teams were involved. He probably didn't take the best price. If I had to guess, he's, he's kind of compromising fit plus price, but he certainly didn't take the, you know, the value price. He's not, you know, you know, you know, there's a, a world where Buffalo and Kansas city offered him one for six with incentives to get the 12 or something around that. Trust me, it's not going to be this, but this is a fair contract. You know, long story short, this is a fair contract for Hopkins. It's a good fit for Hopkins kind of get him back on good graces. He was a great player before injury last year. But that's been the storyline. So can he go out there and catch 85 balls and 10 touchdown passes? If he does, he's going to max out at $15 million this year because the incentives are very attainable. And you can see them all on SpotTrade.com right now. Full breakdown coming soon. But seems like this was always the landing spot. And the contract seems about right as well. I've just posted a Tennessee Titans positional financial breakdown on SpotTrade.com in lieu of this signing. Just to kind of uh, gauge where this roster is at, uh, we've already had a bit of a conversation with Cousin Dan about you know win, wins and losses and things like that, and this whole division, but specifically this Tennessee Titans roster, is just kind of awkward and weird. It got a little better today. I, you know, does this add a half a win? Maybe, uh, certainly some production, but it's still Ryan Tannehill's team on an expiring contract. It's still Derrick Henry's team on an expiring contract. They really don't have a tight end, you know, uh, unless a couple of these mid-rounders really grow into the role in the next couple of weeks here. The offensive line, I actually, you know, like quite a bit what they've done here in terms of a draft pick, a good free agent signing away from Philadelphia and Andre Dillard, uh, and some really savvy vets coming over from San Francisco in a couple of these areas. Uh, They did sign Jeffrey Simmons. So you you knew that was at least a, a hint that this wasn't going to be a teardown completely after this season, even though I think a lot of franchises might have gone that path. But Simmons is here. Harold Landry is still here for two more years in terms of his guarantees. Kevin Byard was supposed to take a pay cut, never did. We've heard nothing since. I don't know why he would take one now because the team appears to be, air quote, trying right now in July. So I'm not sure he's taking up any kind of pay cut from his $14.1 million, but there's risk that he could get cut late in the year. There's there's some bodies here, but there's not a lot of names. So did this add a half a win? Sure. Did it make them a better team? Sure. Did it make them a better team to watch? Absolutely. They were kind of stuck in the middle. This feels like a Tampa Bay roster to me, whereas nobody really loves the quarterback situation. There's certainly some playmakers on offense, but defensively speaking, they were too pot invested to rip the bandaid off and say, all right, we're just going to be a bad team for 18 months and that's going to help us in the long run. Couldn't do that without significant losses. So they're going to take their medicine. They're going to try to win some ball games, try to fall backwards into the postseason. It's very possible out of this division and go from there. And, you know, I guess my only thing, and I've said it in the article as well, is they don't like the rookie from last year, Malik Willis. It sounds like he's already on the roster bubble, and I believe it. 
Will Levis was drafted as a project, and all reports out of Tennessee say he is a project. That's fine. Is he going to be ready in a year? Okay, is this going to be a bit of a Trey Lance situation? Because if Ryan Tannehill's contract expires, and they're just going to hand the keys to Will Levis, and Derrick Henry's going to be 30, so I can't imagine there's another contract coming there, there's just not a lot of rebuild on the fly momentum here. Is my point. Are they kind of putting themselves in a situation where they're overextending in certain areas that's going to bite them in the butt in 2024 when they look around the room and say, what have we done here? We're half over here and half over here. And all that means is we're going to win six games, not get a great draft pick, and we're going to be spinning our wheels for the next two seasons. Nobody wants to be there. So they have to have a definitive, clear path of what's going to happen. And to me, this roster is awkward. They can change that quickly, right? But from a quarterback standpoint, they might get bullied into another Ryan Tannehill contract. Do not be surprised, okay? I don't think it's likely, but don't be surprised if at some point over the course of the next eight to 10 months, the conversation about extending Ryan Tannehill to a small contract becomes top de jour. Because where's, where's option B? Is it Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo who falls off of the Vegas roster? Is it Kirk Cousins? who's back on the free agency path, it's possible. But at that point, aren't you just re-signing Tannehill? That's possible too. So it's an awkward conversation. It's an awkward roster. Hopkins makes them better and more watchable, but we'll see. It's, a, it's an interesting team to watch in 2023, no question about it. And it's still Derrick Henry's team. And for our final segment, we're going to switch to that other football, soccer. I have been reluctant to dive into the Lionel Messi contract until more information came out, until the relevancy became actually relevant while we're here. It appears that July 21st is going to be the inauguration day here uh, and that he's going to get out there and play a home game for Inter-Miami. So what does the contract mean? What does it look like? What are the all-inclusive portions of this? How historic is this? Um, The bullet notes have been pretty candid. And... The meat and potatoes aren't yet available, as you might expect. This is one of those things that's going to take some time to churn out. That's going to really some t- take some time to mature yeah, based on the deep reading I've been doing on this. One of the more fascinating situations we've had in American contracts in terms of sports. Obviously, the biggest name in the sport, arguably. Coming to a situation that has been... You know, I'd give the MLS way more respect than I think most people do uh, in terms of where they've come, how they've held, the partnerships they've designed. And, you know, we talk so much about TV deals and things like that and, and how that's kind of like the, uh, the candle that holds a lot of the light up. They've decided to go full streaming here. And by the way, in doing so, you know, about four months later, bagged themselves the biggest name in the sport. So we're going to start with the Apple deal because Major League Soccer going with the Apple subscription service, the MLS season pass service, basically for the majority of their broadcasts, right? We still do see some network MLS soccer and things like that. And there'll be some friendlies and things like that broadcast elsewhere. But the meat and potatoes of this MLS schedule is on Apple TV. It was a gigantic contract, as you might imagine, okay? There was a bidding war. This was not a situation where the MLS was in dire need. 
of a single entity. In fact, I thought they had a pretty good situation going uh, on network television. But that's not where the money is, as you can tell, right? ESPN's chopping. Fox Sports is chopping, et cetera, et cetera. Apple and the MLS agreed to a 10-year, $2.5 billion contract this, this spring. So just a few months ago. And in turn, revealed that they have a four-part series, a documentary series, chronicling Lionel Messi's World Cup appearances. That was baked into the cake. So <laughs> obviously, and there's a lot of good literature out there to speak to this, this was not a two-week turnover between Inter-Miami and Messi. Okay, This has been coming for literally years. And by the way, before Messi, these teams have been taking other approaches with other superstar players, not to this caliber. But this, the, the wooing process, the recruiting process, the creativity that's gone into this is really admirable. Okay? It's really admirable. They understand what it means just to have a name and a face here. They understand what it means to get somebody with so much credibility in this sport in this, in this country. There's a world where the U.S. you know men's national team is actually taking a step forward. We've seen some cracks in the armor start to come through. You know, still some up and downs, but it feels like, and I hate to do this, but it feels like there's a bit of a moment, and it's a good time to start because in the middle of 2023, where we are, we're just two and a half years away from a local World Cup: Mexico, Canada, U.S. 2026 Men's World Cup which is a huge deal. Okay. And the last time I can remember this, that, that, this kind of ramping up process was before the nineties version of the women's world cup. When the, when America won, when Brandy Chastain took off her shirt and the rest is history. All right. It's moments. Those kind of things carry a sport into another tier, into another dimension. Major league soccer on its own. Okay. Standalone from the U.S. the U.S. game, the national game, is certainly doing their part, and they've been do, trying to do this now for the better part of a decade, and maybe the last three years have been all focused on Messi, especially since the Barcelona disaster, right? So Messi leaves Barcelona and leaves a mess. Okay, he himself has tax issues. Barcelona has maybe forever money issues now because of all the bodies they tried to bring in there at one time. You know, it feels like the Padres and the Mets in Major, in Major League Baseball, but to a 20th degree, okay? I mean, the money they were, they were acquiring from corporations and sponsorships just to do what they have to do, of course, you were going to find something that wasn't quite, quite right and quite legal. They were way overboard, way over budget. Money was coming from where it shouldn't be coming from. And they've been hit with massive, massive, massive regulations. To the point of where, after this PSG disaster for Messi, and it was, he was booed off the field to finish, he actually said out loud, my intention is to go back to Barcelona. He wanted to go back to the family atmosphere, and who can blame him? Okay, it's literally where his family was is. And from a soccer perspective, it probably felt a hell of a lot nicer. They couldn't do it, right? Even if they could bring him in on a contract, a comparable contract, it would never get through the regulations. He'd never be officially registered as a player in that, in that roster right now. That's how much trouble that organization is in. And by the way, they'd probably turn around every time and say it was worth every moment. 
because you put together the super team for the most part, it was successful. It broke up everything that, you know, the hammer came down. It's like USC winning their title and having to, you know, rescind the Heisman trophy. You, you know where we've been. We've been down this path quite a bit. So that's element a, okay. MLS kind of stepped in. And by the way, I keep referencing MLS and not Miami because many of you might not know this. Lionel Messi has a contract with major league soccer. Okay. That's how this kind of works. This is a very unique structure. And it's not new, right? MLS is just adopting other soccer structures here. But it's not like the Tennessee Titans going out there and single-handedly trying to recruit DeAndre Hopkins, who's already in their system, okay? Because of the international part of this, the whole organization has to get involved, okay? It's, can we acquire you into our community and then link you up with one of our teams. So it's a one hand shakes another hand situation. So this is from a top down for years and years, Major League Soccer in accordance with Beckham, right? Who was, you know, keenly placed into that inter-Miami ownership process as a part of this, have been doing this for quite a while. And it's a big deal that it got done. And we'll talk about the semantics of this deal now in just a few minutes. One more point to make here. Why Miami? There's a lot of reasons, you know, and by the way, a lot of the same reasons are coming up with the Damian Lillard conversations, right? Uh, standard of living, the atmosphere, the economy, the, you know, the equity, everything about it. Tax-free in Florida, blah, blah. Don't forget about the, the proximity to Barcelona. And for those of you who needed to look at, map, at a map like I did, it's real, okay? Where he's from, Excuse me, I said, I said Barcelona, Argentina, okay? Obviously where he's from. It's a nine-hour flight from Miami to Argentina, to Buenos Aires. When he played for Barcelona, that was a 13-and-a-half-hour flight, okay? And the Saudi team that offered him $1.3 billion or something of that accord, not, not superlative, by the way, that's a 20-hour flight. So these are the options he was dealing with here. Miami was a nine-hour flight. Okay. So right away, that's a leverage point for MLS and Inter Miami to come in with. Not to mention it's Miami, you know, and the tax stuff, which again has been a big part of his last five years. You know, you walk in. Now look, there's still some international stuff to go into that. And there's a lot of that, by the way. And that's part of what MLS is dealing with right now on a daily basis, hammering out all the legals and the lawyers and the internationals. But all of that has to be persuasive, right? So maybe that's step one in this process now, knowing that the PSG contract is going to expire in April. We're going to have a time to strike. Let's bring everything to the drawing board possible. This was one. Two was Apple. Okay. And that was obviously in the works. Apple was probably top two in terms of the streaming uh, bidding wars. They went big and beyond. And it, part of it was, and we know now, <laughs> part of it was, yeah, billions of dollars, but also, we're going to give a portion of this to Messi just to get him in the door in this system because we're all going to win. Okay, we're all going to win. So yes, it is true. It's a fact that part of Messi's contract, not his MLS contract, right? But his endorsement fold contract involves a cut of MLS subscribers to that season pass on Apple, Apple TV for international subscriptions. 
Obviously, there's more specifics than that. Maybe it's just Argentina, right? Maybe I'm sure it's not that specific, but some form of international subscriptions, Messi will make money off of it. We're not done. He's had a long-standing relationship with Adidas. So has the MLS. You know, twenty plus years for both. In fact, he's got a lifetime cleat contract with them, as many superstar athletes now do, right? He's hooked up with both Adidas and Fanatics through this deal, separate but equal, and will make a percentage of merchandising from both, two separate channels, Adidas and Fanatics. That's big money. Now, I'm sure that existed everywhere else he's played, okay? But when you put one plus one plus one plus one together, and you're 36 years old, and you probably just hated your recent experience with PSG, and it's a nine-hour you know, nine flight home, and Miami's pretty freaking sweet, and everything's tax-free over here. That's a nice deal, okay? So they, they timed it, they budgeted it, they planned it, they brought in big hitters, okay? Tim Cook and Apple, Adidas, Fanatics, okay? And Fanatics has been obviously ramping and ramping up more every six months, as you've seen in the news, okay? These are big hitters, maybe as big as sports can offer us right now. And that's how Messi got here. So what does the contract look like? Ready? I've been teasing you uh, a line of garbage because I don't know. Because here's the deal. MLS doesn't offer their base salaries until about June and then not again until like August, September. And they release it once in a PDF and we all have to deal with it and consume it at one time. I can tell you right now that the last time that was released, Shakiri, who came over as an international player, Broke records with an $8.1 million base salary. Again, that is just his base team salary. Anything layered on top, right? Any kind of endorsement deals he got, he was brought in on are outside of the realm of this, uh, this contract, but certainly still part of his contract, if you can understand that. It's like if Tom Brady brought in an endorsement local to New England or local to Tampa Bay when he moved, right? So part of him going to Tampa Bay was he got linked up with a local Tampa Bay organization, which had nothing to do with this contract with the Buccaneers, but it was part of the recruitment process, okay? You're going to come here, you're going to get 25 million a year from the Buccaneers, and oh, by the way, you're going to get 5 million a year from this company too. Recruitment, endorsement. My guess is we're going to see the first 10 plus million dollar base salary in MLS history. Obviously, I think that's a given, a foregone conclusion. So we factor that into the reports of 50 to 70 million. My guess is the initial base package is 50 million a year. And then once the Apple subscriptions start to kick in, once the Adidas money starts to kick in, he can get himself into the 60s and the 70s per year. However, there's one more level. And this is very popular with uh, soccer football players here. Once his contract expires and he walks away, whether from, it's from football totally or from MLS specifically, he will gain equity stake in Inter-Miami. So he will then from there for a certain amount of time or indefinitely, again, we don't have the, the, the small print on that, own equity stake in Inter-Miami. So there's a valuation built into this contract as well. What is Miami worth right now versus what are they going to be worth in three to five years versus 10 years, et cetera. He's banking on the fact that him coming there, and by the way, everybody's banking on this, him coming there 
is going to inflate the product as a whole, which then inflates Miami as a whole so that he earns a certain degree and a certain amount of money now and then even more when he walks away, which is the dream, right? That's what everybody's looking for. I can tell you right now, uh, based on September of 2022, thanks to our friends from Sportico, Inter-Miami was the 10th highest valued uh, team in MLS at about $585 million projected. The top team, David Beckham's old team, LAFC, $900 million. The bottom team, Montreal, about 390. So there's about a 600 million, $550 million difference between top and bottom right now. The plan here, okay, and by the way, Apple's deal, Adidas's deal, who just re-upped again, by the way, so no problem there, was already going to raise all these values. So September of 2023, I promise you, the majority of these teams are up because the league is up as a whole. But specifically with Messi now, A, how, how high does Inter-Miami climb immediately? And how, and how big does everybody else come up as a whole because of what just happened here? It's a fascinating thing when one person can shake an organization this, this greatly, this immediately, but it's going to happen. And it's going to happen because of the impact that this player has, but also because of the timing. Okay, it's not just about making the major, major league soccer better. Okay, he can come over here and be an average player. We've seen that quite a bit. But his impact is going to get drive a buzz and drive a reputation for a sport that I think is improving at a steady rate and getting this country and this proximity ready for a 2026 Men's World Cup. That's what it's all about. That's why Messi's contract is probably in the two to three year mark. A, because he's 36, but B, they want him here for that World Cup. They want him here to continue to drive that kind of buzz, drive valuations, drive ownership. Apple certainly wants all of it, okay? And then the networks will all pay off on this too with the World Cup here in 2026. So that's the plan. That's the breakdown. That's what we know. Again, 50 is probably about right, 50 per year. In terms of the base base value, it's going to be very interesting to see where that actual MLS base salary comes in. Uh, 8.1 seems like it's going to get beat. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And uh, the rest is really history, truly history. Everything else is about being attached to gigantic uh, corporations and, and figures. The recruitment process was absolutely fascinating. There's some great reads out there about really just the last two and a half years of it, the timing of it, and Major League Soccer hit when they needed the strike. And here we are. July 21st should be his debut just a few days away. It'll be must-see TV. And maybe I should say must-see Apple TV. Okay. We'll be back quickly with Keith Smith, who has done an unbelievable amount of work since he came home from Summer League. Wasn't the best basketball, as he'll tell you, but uh, he certainly put, you know, filled up a couple of notebooks with his thoughts. He's got them all spilled out on spotdirect.com right now a three-part series breaking down everything he thought everything he knows everything he heard everything he plans to see in the next couple of weeks and plenty more so if you haven't read it yet read it now and if you don't feel like reading it at all don't worry because on the next show i'm going to have Keith smith here basically breaking down his experience in las vegas during that summer league and his thoughts and his takeaways as he's back and on spotdirect.com pretty much every single day. 
For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast.